I remember I was sitting at Panda Express with my wife having lunch and I said, look, I think I want to leave my job. The worst thing that happens is I end up losing everything that we're investing, but I can always just go back and get this job in a couple of years. The upside is just infinite. Just be really financially independent. How was that conversation? My only fear was that... Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we got Sherrod Mehta with RE Simply. And Sherrod flew in from Carlsbad, California to talk about how he's flipped 50 houses a year working just an hour a day. Now I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by a sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com and put in disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value today, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? I am. All Start right. Chief. All right. So first question is, what was your life like right before you got into real estate? I was a full-time accountant mm -hmm. and uh, I, being in accounting, you know, I was really into personal finance. I wanted to be financially free, you know, have freedom of time and money. So I tried doing everything. I was really into poker. So I wanted to be a full-time poker player one time. Love Absolutely that. sucked. I have horrible po poker face. <laughs> if I pocket aces, you would know. Um, really? Yeah. Oh man, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I just, I was just hooked onto it, but mm -hmm. I just realized, yeah, that's, that's not going to get me anywhere. Um, and then I was following a lot of personal finance blogs and I came across one of the blogs I was reading in the comments, someone had mentioned a link to a book called Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Mm -hmm. Clicked on that, just kind of, you know, the title sounded very catchy, Millionaire yeah. Real Estate Investor. I bought the book and that kind of led me down the path of full-time real estate investing. Yeah. And then I started Googling, went down to bigger pockets, you know, just read, started posting and everything, then bought my first property in August, 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, two unit, was all in for about 35,000, rented both units for about 1,300. We'll get to that, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, accountant. Accountant, yes. So you went, to the, you went to college. I went to college, Become I was an CPA. You were a CPA, so uh, I've never actually asked this question before. Okay, so you graduate with a degree in accounting, I imagine? Yes. What was it from graduating with a degree to getting a CPA? Um, it wasn't very hard, to be honest. Mm -hmm. When I went to school, uh, super broke so i didn't have i had i have an accounting degree but i never could afford to buy an accounting book so i would go to a library and study from the books that they had mm -hmm. fortunately they had a lot of cpa books so i would just study from that it helped me prepare for the accounting exams mm -hmm. and that helped me pass the cpa so i passed all my exams in first attempt so okay but like how long did it take for you even like from i'm gonna get my cpa i don't know a certification right to getting it about it took me about three or four months to... Okay, so not too long. Not too long, yeah. It because wasn't like, very long. when I see CPA, there's like this kind of like... No, know, no. I'm yeah. a CPA. I mean, my wife is a CPA also. Uh, my brother is a CFO at a company. He's a CPA too. Mm. It didn't take very long. I mean, it's about three, four months. But I, I never went into practicing for myself. Right. But it, it sounds then it's like about the same effort as getting like a real estate license, perhaps. Yeah, you could say that. Okay. Yeah, you could say that. All right, so then... Why accounting college? It just, I moved from India. I wanted, I wanted to study something that would ensure that I would have a job. Accounting seemed like the most. It was a means yeah. to an end. It was not a passion. No, it was definitely not out of passion for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, cause you say accountant and you say not a good poker player in my head, if you're an accountant, 
generally you don't have a wide emotional range. Right. If you have a smaller emotional range, it should be easier or harder to read. Yeah, no, it was definitely. I mean, when I moved from India, I moved here to get a computer science degree, but mm-hmm. it was just it wasn't my cup of tea. So I'm like, okay, what should what could I do? that would sort of guarantee mm-hmm. me a job after I graduate and accounting or finance seems like yeah. the most, you know, uh, safest choice to go okay. with. So you were working in accounting? I was, I was working for, yeah, one of the largest accounting firms. Okay, yeah. and then from there, you saw this other world where you can buy real estate, cash flow, and so on. Right. Did you, how long from when you first found out about it till you did your first deal? So about six months to a year. It was pretty quick from okay. the time I decided I wanted to buy something to the time I, you know, I, I bought my own property uh, like right after my wife and I got married in 2009 and then bought the investment property within a year. Okay. Seeing as how you were newer to it and you had a full-time job, right? how did you find this property? MLS. MLS. It was listed with 65000 Okay. Yeah. Got it. Where? In Indiana. Okay, so this is your first property by in Indiana, bought off the MLS, and it was just based off the numbers. Exactly, based off the numbers. It was. I wasn't confident. I sat my wife down. I said, "Hey, we're gonna buy this property. The worst case is I make the stupidest mistake ever. The worst case is we end up losing twenty five, thirty thousand. You know, mm-hmm. we had some money saved up, and the upside is the property works out, and we're cash paying like six, seven hundred bucks extra. Mm-hmm. You know." So it's like going based on the number, you know, being an accountant, it's just I could relate to it mm-hmm. using 50% rule, 2% rule, you know, everything that people talked about, you know, on bigger pocket, just mm-hmm. like following that to the T. So I'm not sure our, our audience necessarily overlaps with bigger pockets. Right. So can you elaborate on the sure. 50% and the 2% rule? Yeah. So 50% rule would be if my house is rented for $1,000 per month, be very conservative and take 50% towards expenses. You may not have those expenses every month, mm-hmm. but just, you know, set it aside. You know, if you even if you don't have property management, set aside money for property management. Mm-hmm. So if I'm renting it out for $1,000, my cash flow would be 500 before mortgage payment. Okay. 2% rule would be if you're buying a house for, um, let's say $100,000, um, expect to get about $2,000 a month in rent on that property. Mm-hmm. So shoot for two percent. Shoot for two percent. I mean, it doesn't happen anymore, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. could you could buy it, it in twenty ten. Twenty ten, yeah, yeah, it did. Okay, so the fifty percent rule doesn't sound like that would be in alignment with today with some of these guys buying these creative deals. Yeah, it would not be. Yeah, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, right now what seems to be popular is like it doesn't have the cash flow if the interest rate's good, right? And eventually it'll work out. Exactly. I would not feel comfortable with that. Yeah, but. That's what a lot of people do. I personally would not just, I'm a very conservative guy. I'm mm-hmm. happy with that. Yeah. Have you always been conservative? I have, yeah. Okay. So you buy your first deal. Right. Worst case, you lose 25, 30K. I'm assuming that's your down payment. No, no. that was that all was... in cash. So you bought it 65K. K it property. was listed to 65. You bought I offered for 20,000, settled for 25, mm-hmm. put 10,000 into it. Yeah, you were a low baller. It's ridiculous, Ra. That's that's what I did. I mean, they talked about like my mindset was, you know, I'm just gonna make an offer. What's the worst that's gonna happen? Yeah. They say no. Okay. That's all right. Um yeah. They so twenty five for your first one. Twenty five for the first one. Um what did your realtor say about this plan? 
Um, I so one other thing I did was I approached the listing agent directly because you know it's not high price property, so the agent isn't making much. So I went directly to the listing agent, just say, hey, look, um, you know. I, I need to make an offer on this property. Mm-hmm. If you help me, you're going to get both sides off mm-hmm. uh, the commission. Um, and it just, it just worked out. Um, but yeah, I think I, the first few properties I bought, I, I would just go directly to the listing agent. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where it was just getting a little bit hectic for me to maintain all that relationship. Then I started working with a, a seller's agent. Got it. So you go online, searching, clicking around on the internet, right. find these properties, reach out to the listing agent, and you have them represent both sides that was the first deal right that was true for the next few deals as well correct so when you saw it online you saw the millionaire real estate agent right as like investor right uh or millionaire real estate investor right right so you see this and you're like okay this is interesting there were doubts in your head or you're like the proof of concept was already there i mean to me proof of concept was already there the book talked about you know putting money down 20 percent. the book talked about buying it, you know, with debt in place, my plan was to just buy it straight for cash. Okay. So what adversities did you face then when you started down this road? Uh, just not knowing what I didn't know. You know, it just honestly seemed too good to be true. Just buying a house for 35000 renting for 1300 It just, it didn't make sense, you know. It still doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't, <laughs> right? It does, I still own that property to this day. Right. Uh, next month, I bought another one for forty four. Mm-hmm put like five, 6,000 into it. It was a three unit. One was I rented out for $600. The other two I rented for total $1,800. It just, it did not make any sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, how is this possible? Right. And then after that, I remember sitting at Panda Express with my wife having lunch. And I said, look, I think I want to leave my job. The worst thing that happens is I end up losing everything that we're investing but I can always just go back and get this job in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But the upside is if it works out, the upside is like, you know, just infinite. Like we could just be really financially independent. How was that conversation? Uh, my wife was very supportive. Um, my parents were a little doubtful, you know, like mm-hmm. why would you leave a job? You know, you have this amazing job making good money. Um, but just the lifestyle my wife and I had, we were always living on the lower of the two incomes and mm-hmm. saving the higher income. So it wasn't going to affect our lifestyle. So she was very supportive that, hey, it's all right if you think it's the right thing to do. Let's just mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. We didn't have any kids back then, so it wasn't like a big decision. You know, that it wasn't going to affect our lifestyle. So There wasn't a lot of stress in your end. It was not. Yeah. 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 So that was actually very similar to myself and my girlfriend. My wife now, but at right. the time my girlfriend. And then my parents were like, why would you give up this great right. job? Yeah. <laughs> it was the same exact conversation. Yeah, it was, it was tough to explain them. You know, they were in India. Uh, it was like every parent's dream. You know, their immigrant son or daughter goes mm-hmm. overseas, you know, graduates, gets a degree, and but they never think about their son is going to leave the job. Right. You know, making decent money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just, it just seemed like, you know, being an accountant, it just, like, the numbers seemed really too good to be true. Right. It just seemed like there's, I, I, I mean, my, my only fear was that it's a scam, you know, that whatever I'm doing, the, the property value is going to go to zero. And I'm thinking, even if it goes to zero, I'm getting rent. Who cares? Right. You know, I'm, I'm buying it debt free. Like, who cares? Like, I just, I can just, as long as I'm getting rent, I don't care about the property value. I'm never going to sell these properties. So that was my mindset going yeah, into you're it. Yeah, for the long haul. Yeah. What, uh, what were you making at your accounting firm when you quit? Making about 
72,000 and I was up for a bonus and a promotion. I was going to be promoted to manager. So it's a very difficult decision knowing that I was up for a bonus and a promotion and the economy wasn't very stable at that point. You know, uh, I was working with ENY that had a massive round of layoffs. It was mm-hmm. like everything was stacked against kind of the decision that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. It just it just felt like the right thing to do. It just it it seemed like if I did not do it, I would have a huge regret. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, how many properties did you have when you did decide to quit? Five units. Five units. Two properties. Five units. Okay. What were you bringing in every month? From those two properties, because I didn't have any debt, uh, about fifteen hundred a month. Okay, combined between all of them. Yeah, like net cash cash flow. Well, not net, but just like gross. oh, like gross, uh, thirty three hundred. Thirty three hundred. Okay. Or thirty one or thirty. Yeah. So okay, thirty three hundred turns into fifteen hundred. So you're still not making. You didn't no. replace your income yet. I did not. Gotcha. No. Uh, it's interesting, uh, in hearing the way you talk to your wife before, like, hey, we're gonna buy our first property, as well as, hey, I'm gonna quit my job, is you started off with a worst case scenario. Right. I did. Um, kind of like an accusation audit. So. Is that something you've always done or is that just something that you were preparing for this, these particular conversations? I mean, looking back now and even looking back at kind of how I make decisions, I always kind of look at the worst case scenario and then I'm like, hey, as long as I'm ready for this, if it happens, mm-hmm. this is absolutely worse. Like mentally, am I ready for it? If I am, like, let's go for it, mm-hmm. you know? And then I have to always compare it with the upside, right? Mm-hmm. I can just look at the downside, all right? What are the chances of downside happening? what are the chances of upside happening? And mm-hmm. I'm looking at the odds of upside versus downside. Right. The the upside has to far out with the downside, but if the downside were to happen, am I ready for it? If I am, then I'm like, yeah, let's just go for it. You know, the yeah. upside. Well, it gives you a lot of confidence. It does, yeah. Uh, but not everyone makes this, makes decisions this way. Right. Um, do you think your poker background helped with that? I wouldn't call it my poker background. I was like, I played it a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Wanted to play World Series of Poker, I think I might still play, you know, not with the intention of like making it my career. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I'm, I'm sure it had some influence on, you know, how I started looking at things, mm-hmm. just being ready for it, um, ready for the worst case scenario. And then just like, all right, if it happens, am I prepared for it? Is it going to affect my lifestyle? Yeah. The decision that I'm making, how is that going to impact my, my wife, my parents, or, you know, my family and friends? If it doesn't negatively impact them in a big way, and yeah. then the upside of, you know, would be huge, then let's just go for that decision. Yeah. Well, I like that that's your thought process, but also that's the way you communicate right. message as well yep. to your spouse. Uh, so, when, and I was just bringing up like my own poker thing was that for me, my, the way I made my decision, including quitting my job, was like, okay, if I make this decision this way a hundred times, what are the long-term right. expected value? Yeah. Right? Expected value is positive. I'm right. making this decision. If, if long-term, if this is like a bet, but long-term expected value is negative. I'm not making this decision. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, I was, I was thinking along the same line, but I wasn't as beautifully you explained. I wasn't like explaining to my wife. I was just saying, Hey, the worst case we lose everything. You know, we have about like, let's say hundred thousand invested in these properties. Uh, the worst case we lose everything. All right. I can always go get this job, make, mm-hmm. you know, 60, 70,000 again. But the upside is, you know, we could be millionaires if right. this thing works out. Sure. Yeah. You quit your job. Right. Now that you're full time, right. was it easier or the same? Uh, it was a little bit challenging because you, I left my job, but I didn't have enough properties to keep myself busy. So the biggest challenge was staying disciplined, you know, not letting the freedom of time. I didn't have the freedom of money, but I had the freedom of time, mm-hmm. not, 
letting that like distract me. So I started kind of connecting, you know, networking with other investors. Fortunately, one of my my best friends, he was visiting Australia uh, in 2011 and his cousin was a CFO of a marketing company in Australia. They were looking to buy properties in the US mm-hmm. because the Australian dollar was very strong against the US dollar. So my friend connected us and, you know, I kind of, uh, my, my friend now, uh, his cousin actually flew down from Australia to Indiana. You know, I kind of ran him through the numbers. They're like, oh, these numbers are just unbelievable. They're, mm-hmm. they're actually, I helped them buy a 30, oh, 30 or 40 condos in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So I actually flew down to Phoenix. They were in under contract to buy 40 condos out of 300 condo unit building. So I flew down to Phoenix, kind of helped them close the deal. I said, hey, I want you to fly down to Indiana and just see the numbers there. So he flew down. He's like, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of wholesaling properties to them, not really knowing that was what I was doing was wholesaling. Yeah. So I started wholesaling properties to them. And then all the money that I was making from uh, wholesaling, I started just buying more properties for myself. Okay. Um, and then, you know, because you could easily find something on MLS back then. It was just like, you could go and choose whichever house you wanted to buy make a bid on it. Mm. It was super easy. So they were buying about hundreds of houses a year. So I was making money from that. I would just go invest in more rental properties from, right. for myself. So that's how I could just keep my portfolio free and clear. Did you live in Indiana at the time? I was living in downtown Chicago. Downtown Chicago. Yeah, so I literally followed the book. The book said, whatever you're living, just draw one mile driving, uh, one hour driving radius from where you're living. I didn't even know I was living that close to Indiana because when you're living in downtown Chicago, mm-hmm. unless you have something going on in Indiana, you don't really- You're not going over there. You're not going over there. <laughs> so I'm like one mile, one hour driving radius. I'm like, wow, Indiana. Like I didn't even know I was living to a whole different state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started looking a little bit more into it. The numbers made sense. And the biggest factor was it was a landlord friendly state. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started investing in Indiana. Gotcha. So no. you got a lot of education from Bigger Pockets. I did, yeah. Reading, reading books, Bigger Pockets, just talking, going to local RIA meetings, just asking anyone who was more experienced than I was, just asking them questions, being a sponge, yeah. So what were the biggest adversities then? That uh, biggest unexpected adversity in, in growing this? Growing uh, the real estate side. Trusting contractors, I would say. You know, not knowing enough about the the contracting side of the the business i was buying these properties that needed work done to them so i was just i was naive that if a contractor said hey this house needed a new furnace i'm like okay you know if you say it needs a new furnace it must need a new furnace i don't do that anymore but that's kind of <laughs> what my process was back yeah. then uh, so i'm sure i spent more money than i really needed to mm-hmm. on the the repair side of the business right. but but it's all right it still worked out um but then Meeting the right people was definitely a huge uh, thing that I wanted to make sure, like networking with the right mm. people um, and, you know, helping them also grow their business, you know, not just going in any relationship and saying, hey, what's in it for me? It was like, right. hey, what's in it for both of us? If it works out, how is it going to help both you and I, not mm. just me? I think that was important. So the agent that I started working with, he was aligned. He was also kind of starting new in his business. So it mm. kind of worked out for both of us, you know, I connecting, connected him with that Australian company. So they were buying like hundreds of properties a year. Wow. It just worked out for everyone. Right. Yeah. Uh, how are you networking with the right people? I go into local RIAs and seeing who is active in the market. You know, it's like actually doing deals. You know, what is it that they're doing? What areas are they investing in? 
um, rather than just trying to come up with my own plan, just follow a plan that somebody has already laid out, mm. you know, and then just say, hey, if it's already working for them, why can't I just like, you know, like copy and just uh, implement it in my own business? Yeah, this business is not rocket science. It, it's not. It's not like one thing. If I could go back, what I would do is I would hire a mentor or like work with a coach mm -hmm. uh, because that would have really scaled up my, you know, the, the growth that I was doing. I think that's that's one thing if I could go back, I would do buy more properties and work with a coach, you know, who could just kind of guide me rather than just trying to network with people, which is still great, but just say, hey, Steve, you've done thousands of deals. Would you mind if I just like, if you have a mentorship program, networking program, can I yeah. be part of it? And then you can help me scale. So this way I can just come to you directly and ask you my specific question rather mm. than going to 10 different people. Yeah, I had the same regrets. Yeah. Right, if I were to do it all over again, but number one, it was buy more property. All right. Uh, number two is don't be too stingy. Yeah, getting a coach because I was like, why would I ever pay someone twenty five k? I would just lose twenty five. I'd rather lose twenty five k on a deal and learn from that. Absolutely, than pay somebody right. Yeah. And and looking back, like that was such an ignorant statement to make. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it it is. I mean, I I've learned from it. So I'm working with a couple of coaches now yeah. to just kind of make sure I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing. Like exact. Bought should I bought more properties and worked with the coach. Same yeah. two regrets. Uh, when did you know, like, okay, this is it. Like this is, I'm going like everything I read about like, this is real. Cause like even even when you quit your job, it sounded like you weren't like fully like convinced. Right. When did you know it was real? So after about maybe 2012, like before the end of 2012, like in a couple of years. So I bought my first property in August 2010. The second one in September 2010. So by 2012, I'm like, this is this is real. Mm -hmm. This is real. I'm. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to have to work again. For and I'm a real estate investor now. This yeah. is it. Yeah, this is it. Like, I don't think I'll ever work for anyone. How, how did that feel? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Just knowing, you know, um, I was like 20, how old was I? Like 27, 28. Yeah. And just to be in that stage where like, hey, I'm kind of like financially free here. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not like super rich, super wealthy, but I'm yeah. financially free. Well, you hit your freedom number. Yeah, exactly. I hit my freedom number and mm -hmm. I don't need to work for anyone. I yeah. can just do whatever I want to do uh, and not have to work for anyone. So that was, that was definitely very liberating. What were some of your biggest victories along the way in, in buying those properties? Um, like financial victories? Financial, emotional, business, whatever. I mean, emotional was... Uh, you know, 2012, we took a pretty nice, 2012 and 13, we took like pretty nice vacation. We went to, we did African safari. We went to Asia, Europe, 2013. You know, we went to Machu Picchu, Argentina, Brazil. Just, and it just felt amazing. It just felt like amazing that I don't have anybody that I have to report to. Like we went on a five week vacation in November and December. Mm -hmm. We went to Africa, you know, like I, I remember, signing this closing document in the middle of African safari. So I had to go to <laughs> like a local office. It was just, it felt so surreal that yeah. I'm like, I can't believe I'm, I'm doing this. I would have, I don't think I would have ever been able to enjoy it as much if I were working for someone. You, you know? bought a house while you were in Africa. I bought a house, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I bought a house while I was in Africa. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. This was like in Serengeti, Tanzania, <laughs> and I signed closing dog. It just, it felt so amazing. Yeah. to do that yeah that's pretty awesome yeah um so you're buying properties now i looked here in the notes right you got 50 properties free and clear right so you started this in 2010 when did you like when was there a transition where you were flipping or the the, the software business like when when did you decide to transition 
transition to flipping? Yeah, so, well, to move outside of just buy and hold, right? Because like right. your, your first few years, it just sounds like predominantly just buy and hold. Right, buy and hold and wholesaling to um, this Australian company. Right. Right. So when did you add another leg to your business model? It was in 2014. Mm-hmm. So I'd been working with this title company, you know, every deal that we had done up until that point, we were just buying with that title company. Just, you know, one thing I'd read in Millionaire Real Estate Investor book was just make sure you, you know, build relationships. Mm-hmm. So I was buying all these properties through the same agent, through the same title company. So in 2014, you know, we had done like, by 2014, we had done like hundreds of deals with the title company. And the person at the title company, the escrow officer came to me and said, Sharad, I have this lender, a local lender. They're trying to liquidate like 35 properties. Would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I looked at those properties. Majority of them were in an area that I wasn't super interested in buying for myself, like a C minus D neighborhood. But the agent that I was working with, he was interested. So I said, okay, you could buy it. Just pay me a small fee and that's fine. You know, whatever you do with those houses. And some of those houses that we bought as a package, I think we ended up buying 20 of those houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those houses would not have made sense as um, buy and hold property. You know, they're a little bit more expensive. The cash flow would not be there. I'm like, all right. And the, the deal with the lender was either I bought all of them or none of them. So I'm like, all right, I'll buy all of them. And then two of those properties were in an area where it would not, it was just, you know, an hour drive from where I was investing. It would not have made sense buy and hold. So it would have only made sense flipping. I had not flipped any property until then. I'm like, all right, let's just figure out, you know, how to flip this house. Um, That's kind of how I was kind of forced into flipping. Mm -hmm. And then I was on uh, 2015, I believe I was on a bigger pocket podcast. And then once that podcast aired, then a lot of investors started reaching out to me and saying, Mm -hmm. hey, love your story, would love to do kind of what you're doing. And then that's kind of just, I said, okay, you know, I don't like sell houses to other investors, but let me see what I can do. And then I, you know, started like got into this turnkey business model that is, you know, they're investors in New York, California, you know, uh, coastal areas, um, high cost of living, but they wanted to buy cash flow properties. Let me see. So I started buying more properties. I would uh, rehab them, rent them out and started working with, you know, we were already working with a property management company for the Australian investors. So I said, all right, you know, we'll give you these properties to the property management company, but these are going to be U.S. investors buying. So then I got into flipping and turnkey properties mm-hmm. from there on. Can you elaborate for our listeners what turnkey means? So turnkey property means uh, a property that an other investor is buying. That's basically turnkey really from them. Mm-hmm. Like the way we sell it is it's cash flowing from day one. So we would buy a property, uh, we would rehab it, make sure all the foundational, mechanical, everything cosmetic is up to date. We would rent it out, put a property management company in place for their mm-hmm. property, then we would sell it to other investor. So when the other investor buys, it's turnkey property for them. They yeah. don't have to do anything. They're cash flowing from day one. So it's rent ready. Rent ready. Property management in place. Right. It's rented out. Yeah. Oh, already it's rented rent- out. It's already rented out. We Everything we sell, it's already rented out. Yeah. So it's already cash flowing. It's, it's already cash You're flowing. You're buying based off of numbers. Exactly. You're buying based off of numbers. So we actually have a lease. We show them, this is what the lease is. This is what the deposit is. So it's cash flowing for day one. So when you buy, we transfer over the security deposit to you, prorated cash, uh, rental, everything over to you. Yeah. And it's great because now you can sell to an investor based off of like, here's what the actual net is. Right. And if you're trying to get this return, here's the price. Exactly. Yep. 
That's that's exactly. It was just strictly based on numbers. It wasn't based on. I mean, of course, we had to make sense. These investors, most of them, were buying with a lender in place, so the appraisal had to make sense. Um, but it just you know the numbers. It was primarily driven based on numbers. We would say, okay, this property is rented for let's say fifteen hundred dollars a month. We'll sell it for hundred thousand dollars. Let's say you know it, it didn't matter what our cost was. Mm-hmm. Of course, we would make profit on that, but it was strictly based on the numbers. Yeah, and like. For a lot of people that are listening, they might be wondering, like, why would someone buy it this way? Right. So why would your clients buy you as a turnkey versus going in there and do it themselves? Because that's what you and I would do. Right. Uh, these are high net worth individuals making four or five hundred thousand. You know, some of the investors that we're selling to making million dollars. It's not the best use of their time mm-hmm. to go in, find these properties, find contractors, manage the rehab, rent them out, and do the process. They would yeah. rather. I mean, it's like for them, it's like they're diversifying their investment. They have some money in stocks, they have some money on stocks, bonds, and now they're investing in real estate. Right. So they know, okay, I'm going to make like 10, 12% cash on cash. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, here you go. I'm going to buy this property. I have a tangible asset. I'm going to make money on this. Right. And you can appreciate it. Yeah, and appreciation. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the things, right? Like uh, you have, if a doctor says, hey, I want to get into this business, the first question is like, why do you want to be in this business? Right. <laughs> exactly. You're, yeah. you're much better off. Just doing your thing and just make additional cash flow. Yep. Versus taking your time away from right. what you're best at. Right. Yeah. But if you if you have too much money, if you have like millions of dollars mm-hmm. sitting aside, and you're like, hey, I don't know what to do with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then turnkey makes sense. So it's interesting. As a function of going on bigger pockets, right? You start a turnkey business. Yeah. I don't think I would have <laughs> done it other otherwise. Yeah. yeah. So just based. That's a big on. shout out to bigger pockets. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, man. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, I had no plans to start uh turnkey business, but mm-hmm. these investors started reaching out like, Hey, I really want to buy properties. Can you help me? I'm like, okay. You know, uh, then I remember I sold one property from my portfolio because there's like this desperate investor. I was mm-hmm. going to make 30,000 on it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't want to sell it, but I'm like, man, that's $30,000 profit right now. So I sold it. To him, I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to liquidate my portfolio. You know, the whole reason why I bought the rental properties for myself is to have this, you know, like lifestyle, freedom of cash and mm-hmm. uh, money, time and money. So then I just really got into turnkey business. So was a turnkey business now a distraction from the lifestyle you had planned? Not really. Um, I mean, are you talking about now or back then? Then. Right, because you just came back from a five-week vacation where you're right. buying a property in Africa. Right. Now you add a whole new business venture. It it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't scaled to, you know, initially I was only selling like a property a month, you know, one to two properties a month. So it wasn't like very large scale. Uh, but it got to a point where I didn't have systems and processes in the business where it started mm-hmm. becoming a distraction. It started feeling like work, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, that's when I kind of, started putting more systems and, you know, processes into the business. And it just, yeah. uh, it, it's, I, I'm not very involved in the business. Somebody right. on my team manages it. But yeah, yeah, if you don't have good systems and processes, it can be very challenging. Well, and that's the reason I was asking, because like in the Will Club, right, where we have this this principle where like when we say yes to something. We're saying no to something. Uh, yeah, well, we're not, not just saying no to something. We don't do a good job of conceptualizing right. what are going to be the additional burdens. Right. Right, like. Uh, for example, we hire someone, we think, oh, they're going to make everything easier. We, right. we discount the fact that there's a lot of training Absolutely. and holding. They're going to call you with weird questions at weird times. 
True. And then that distracts you from your main thing. Right. right? And not to say that there's anything against hiring. It's just right. we don't ever take that into account. Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely, that was a big learning curve, not knowing what I got myself into. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, okay, I'm going to sell these properties to investors at cash flowing. You know, then I'll never have to hear back from them. But the tenant stops paying. They're calling me. Hey, Sharad, you know, there was a lease on this property. This tenant isn't paying. What should I do? I'm like, I don't know, like we'll have to file an eviction. So you, like you didn't have, you didn't even think about the problems you were going to run into. Right. But then people start calling you with weird things. Like, hey, this property, you know, like six months later, there's a leak in one of the faucets or toilet is leaking. You know, like, hey, is it covered by a warranty? I'm like, oh, I didn't even know we had a warranty on this thing. Yeah. Uh, so they start calling you, asking you these questions. Then you start figuring out, okay, next time someone asks, like I need to have an answer for it, you know, before we... So we would put these things in a contract. We'd say, okay, when we sell a property, we would cover for first six months. If a tenant leaves for whatever reason, we'll take care of it. We'll make sure we pay your rent for the first six months if it were to happen. But after six months, it's on you. Uh, or if something were to happen, like, you know, act of God, you know, if it's a storm or a tree falls on your property, that's really nothing that we can control. But mm-hmm. if if it's something that should have been done before you bought yeah, the property, yeah, then we would take care of it. So, right. you know, we, we started kind of figuring out as we started getting questions, you know, we started figuring out, okay, what do we need to do? You know, if this happened, let's make sure we set the right expectation for this investor before we get into anything. Is creating procedure something that's, that came natural for you? Uh, not, not really. Uh, I'd read, you know, a book. Um, oh man, what's that? Uh, I can't even remember the name of the book and it had such a huge influence on me. Um, I'll, I'll come back to me, I'm but gonna, yeah. I'm going to throw something out there, maybe Checklist Manifesto. That was one of them, but it was it was another one that, um, oh man. Uh, yeah, it, it just completely changed how I started running my business. It's about, it, it's, it's about a guy who goes into a bakery. It's Emeth. Emeth, yes. That's yeah. Emeth Revisited. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. That had a huge influence on kind of how I started looking at my business. I literally was prepared a checklist. We're doing turnkey. And we said, all right, every house that we're doing has to have the same paint color, same cabinet, same faucet, same toilet, same paint, fixture, everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't doing this before. I mean, it just sounds so silly now to think about why <laughs> wouldn't I do that? But, you know, it just, there was no, re- I mean, in my mind, I thought that each house had to look different. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Why? I just started asking why the tenants don't care as long as the house is presentable. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Exactly. <laughs> nobody cares. In my mind, it was just my, you know, limiting belief that each house had to look unique. And once we said, all right, this is the spreadsheet, anything we're buying, it has to be from the spreadsheet. If it's not, let's just make sure we add it to the spreadsheet and everything is from bought from this spreadsheet. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a nightmare story from my, yeah. my own personal experience with flipping, right? So the people that listen know that I hate flipping, right? <laughs> so I have this problem kind of like what you said earlier of trusting contractors. Right. Right. And they're like, Hey, what should I do here? I was like, well, you're the one that's flipping all these houses for all these other investors. Like, right. what are they doing? Like put in what you think, what you're seeing oh, yeah. as the yeah. trend Just putting blind faith right. into a relationship. Right. And then, uh, this unfortunate situation was my mother-in-law's home. Right. Oh, wow. And that's they're like, good. yeah, like, you know, like, what do you think would look good for that bathroom? Like you guys are doing all these models. Right. And I came back and looked at it, I was like, this is not yeah. what's popular. <laughs> right. This is what they put in because I think this is what they had the surplus of. Right, right. Yeah. Right? Right. And so you're talking about like having all these items in place, potentially warehouse somewhere, but at least maybe skew a list of SKUs. Right. So like everyone looks the exact same. Everyone. Exactly. Right? 
And these are kind of things you don't think about until you're flipping at scale. Or, exactly. Right. Yeah. It just, it made a day and night difference. It mm -hmm. was like, oh, we didn't even have to think about it. We just had to tell at that point, we just had to tell the contractor if we're flipping this house or we're turnkey. That's all we had. To, if it's a turnkey, it's from a select list of SKUs that we're doing. If it's a flip, we would just like couple of, you know, uh, fancy upgrades we'll do. Like um, granite countertop, we'll put like tile in the bathroom, like those sort of things. Otherwise, if it's a turnkey, straight, everything same. Don't even ask me. This is a scope of work. Just go yeah. do it. Don't even ask us like what toilet, what kitchen, mm -hmm. what, you know, flooring to use. Like it just, everything needs to be from that checklist. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, really smart. So uh, how difficult then was it? Sounds like it wasn't really terribly difficult once you decided to go down this path of creating SOPs. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, um, so when you're talking about flipping, you're talking about predominantly uh, flipping as a turnkey investor. When, to, to a turnkey investor, when did you start incorporating virtual assistants? Virtual assistant wasn't until, so I was living in Chicago until August, 2015. Mm -hmm. My wife, she got a job in Carlsbad, so we decided to move to Carlsbad. Yeah, that's terrible, you had to move to Carlsbad. I know, man, I know. I miss the weather in Chicago, I miss <laughs> the snow, yeah. So we moved to, to Carlsbad. For those of you guys who don't know, it's just outside of San Diego. Oh yeah, yeah, for anybody who don't, it's, it's beautiful weather, yeah, it's 70 degree all year round. Yeah. So I, we moved to Carlsbad, and I was at this point I was doing about 40, 50 flips a year, like flip, turnkey, retail, you know, mix of both. And then I started looking at my business. I'm like, okay, I need a system. You know, it was working great while I was in, in Chicago. I could go visit these properties. And then it started also becoming more difficult to find properties from MLS. So mm -hmm. I was started doing, I'd started doing some direct to seller marketing. Mm -hmm. And once I moved to Chicago, I mean, from Chicago to Carlsbad, now I could not just, if there was an issue with the property, I could not just drive down. You know, right. if a plumber called me and said, like previously what would happen is, and it just, it's crazy. I think about it now, what an inefficient system I had. I was living in Chicago. If a plumber called me and said, there's a leak, I would literally drive down from downtown Chicago to Indiana, 30 to 45 minutes. I'm like, oh, yep, there's a leak. Let's fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and once I moved to San Diego to Carlsbad, I didn't have that option. I couldn't just take a flight and mm -hmm. say, so I said, all right, let's call me on video. Call me on video and show me. Let's like, FaceTime right, this. Yeah, let's FaceTime this. Yeah. It's like, okay, that makes sense. Like, what's the estimate? So I started looking into this. But I still didn't have, like, a system as I was scaling to use. And that's when I started looking, okay, what do I need? You know, I'm doing more marketing, I'm sending out direct mail. Um, you know, I want to start buying more direct-to-seller properties directly from motivated sellers. I didn't have anything. So I started looking at what system would I need to manage my business Uh predominantly everybody back then was using Podio. I just didn't like the idea of Podio. I didn't like to buy this product and then I would still have to go out, buy everything else to integrate into this. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you, didn't you, know, like, you didn't like to have to buy all the upsells? Oh no. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I, <laughs> I was making way too much money. You know, I should have given it to Podio. Yeah. I just, no, it, it just like, like I, I remember like people talk about you would have to do Globy flow, mm -hmm. do this, do that. I'm like, I'm not gonna do this. Like, this just sounds crazy. So I hired a couple of developers, like, all right, I'm gonna have, create something for myself, which is gonna be focused on direct-to-sell marketing, but also focused a lot on project management because I was predominantly flipping houses back mm -hmm. then. So I hired a couple of developers in 2016 or 17. Um, and then I started looking into, all right, let's just create something. Um, so they created like, a product for me that was very specific to my business, not wholesaling, but buying direct to seller and then 
rehabbing those properties. And then I started going to other local, you know, masterminds. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing. You know, what do you guys think? Just started kind of getting feedback from uh, other investors. But yeah, it was just, I, I needed a system to run my own business. So you didn't need virtual assistants. So you were creating your own system. I, yeah, so I hired my virtual assistant. She's still working with me. Uh, I hired her in 2017 or 18. She was living in the Philippines. Now she lives in Canada. She moved there for her master's degree. She's still working for me. And then I also hired a project manager. She was living about 15 minutes from Carlsbad. Um, so I hired her as an assistant. I had a home office. Her name is Claudia. She's still with me. So I said, Claudia, I need an assist assistant. I have a home office. Why don't you come work from my home office? She would come in for five days. After a week, I'm like, you don't need to come in for five days. Just come in four days. And then after a week, I'm like, you don't need to come in for three, four days. Just come in for three days. After that, I'm like, you know what, Claudia, you're doing a good job. Just work from home. Doesn't matter. Um, and she, amazing, amazing person. So she manages my entire house flipping business now. Mm -hmm. Like, she's the one who helped me find the property. She would do all the due diligence, underwrite it, get all the comps and everything. So she does all of that. And Apple, who's my virtual assistant in Canada now, she does all the lead management stuff. So yeah, I hired Apple, Claudia first in 2016, I believe. Got it. Um, so you hired them to help you scale your operations. Really. Exactly. So you build a system to scale your operations. And yep. once you start building your own system. Then I needed people to put in that system. Right. Right. Got it. Okay. So um, working with a VA, I mean, there's a lot of people that use VAs, right? Uh, but there's, you were saying there's kind of something, uh, some challenges or you, you have some, there's some things you've done to build a culture within your, with your VAs. Right. What are you doing that's out of the norm or exceptional and, and making sure you're managing your, your VAs effectively? Uh, I think what I'm doing is not micromanaging them. Mm -hmm. Just if I find the right person and they're really great at doing something, then I'm mm -hmm. just going to get out of their way and say, hey, you control it. And just will manage everything by numbers. If the numbers make sense, we're moving in the right direction. If not, then we need to tweak what we're doing in our process. Mm -hmm. But if it's numbers are moving in the right direction, then I, I don't need to get involved in kind of how they're doing things. Uh, I just let them, you know, I just tell them, okay, this is what we need to do. This is our goal that we need to get to. And then they manage the process at that point. So I think that's everyone's dream. Right. <laughs> right. To have the VAs that are self-sufficient. Right. Uh, come with batteries included, right? So they're already driven yes. and motivated. You don't need to motivate them. You don't need to make sure they're doing their job. Right. So that's the dream. Yes. How did you go from what everyone's, a lot of people's nightmares, like sometimes people can't even get the VAs to show up to an interview right. that they applied on onlinejobs.ph. Right. They went to onlinejobs.ph, reached out to them, you scheduled a job interview, and they didn't right. show up to the job interview. Right. So how do you go from managing people that, I won't say not, not, not necessarily unaccountable, but, you know, remotely, there's just some challenges. Right. So how do you go from hiring someone that you can't even see or, or meet right. to them being so uh, high-functioning? Right. I mean, like looking back, we have a process now, you know, in Ari simply for hiring people. But like when I hired Claudia or Apple, to be honest, I didn't have a process. Like I wasn't just ready to hire someone. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I was just lucky, you know, to find the people that I did. It's just, I had a good feeling about them, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I don't want to say there was like something that, you know, that 
just told me about Claudia Hedes. She was going to be fantastic. I just had a good feeling about her. Like one thing I've realized over the years now hiring people is that you can, like, I want to look, I want to hire people that have the right work ethics, that have the right character. The skill can always be taught. Right. right? If I hire someone who's highly skilled, but is not honest, I cannot have them go do, hey, can you go talk to Steve? Mm-hmm. Go take his one of his coaching courses and learn how to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, stop stealing from the company. There's, right. there's no course, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, but I can, if if I hire someone who's super motivated, mm-hmm. you know, who's willing to learn, I can say, hey, can you go connect with Steve and his team mm-hmm. and learn this, you know, sales training. That the skill can be taught, but right. the, the character, the work ethics cannot be taught. So I think that's what we focus on now. We want to hire someone who has the right character, right work ethics. And then if they don't have the skill, that's totally fine. We'll put them through the training to get the right skills. And then how we, you know, ensure that they have the right character. It's just, you know, we, uh, we get, we hire them on a 90 day probation period mm-hmm. and we say, Hey, look, you're not, we're not expecting you to perform at a high level. We just want to make sure you fit in with the company. You're the right, right cultural fit, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that's the important thing that you're the right culture fit. That other people, uh, you know, you enjoy working with the company, and then uh, other people enjoy working with you. Right. So one thing we do with all our VAs now is every week, someone on my team um, checks in with them. Hey, how would you rate your happiness working with us on a scale of one to ten? Ten being this is the best job ever. One being, hey, I'm already interviewing. I'm gonna give you my two week notice next week. So we check in with every single team member, and we say, hey, this is every week. Every week every week and my head of CS reports to me on a weekly basis what the rating is. Head of CS? Uh, for Ari simply. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so head of customer service? Head of customer service. For, yeah. And they're checking all the VAs that all are working VA. at the company. Correct. How are they feeling? How are they feeling? Like it's, it's like how happy they are. So you have an employer NPS score going out every week. Every week. Yeah. That's incredible. I've never heard that. Yeah, we, we check in every week and then I check in with the head of our CS team, hey, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. You know, and I say every day, like I, I do a one-on-one call with them. I mean, not one-on-one, but we do a team call. And I say every day to them, hey, if you're not happy with me for any reason, just tell me. It's not, I don't have my ego involved here. Like what mm-hmm. we're building here is bigger than anyone individually. We're begging, creating something bigger than all of us here. So if you tell me, hey, Sharad, you suck how you run this meeting, I'm not gonna be offended. I just make sure that I replace myself with someone else who's going to do a better job than me. Right. Uh, but we want to make sure you're absolutely honest in giving us a rating. That if you lie to us, then there's nothing we can do. But if you tell us honestly, hey, you know, I, I grade seven, then we don't say, okay, why is it seven? Why not 10? What could mm-hmm. we have done to make this a 10? Right. If it's just a busy week, we get a lot of tickets from our customers or whatnot, then we'll make sure we have other people involved. You know, we now we've gotten to the point we've hired additional people. So nobody's you know, overworked or anything like that. But yeah, that's a weekly score that we get from every single team member. It's a super tight feedback system. Yeah. Is it a conversation or is it a web form? A conversation. Conversation. Yeah. Every every week, someone's having a conversation with one of your VAs. Yes. One to 10. One to 10. Awesome. Yeah. And checking in every every week, like 30 minute one-on-one with every VA on our team. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, going back to character and work ethic. Right. How are you screening for character and work ethic? Because those are the most important things, right? Like yes. if you're willing to work hard, right? You're willing to work hard, and you're coachable. Like yes, anything's That's, possible. Anything exactly, anything is possible at that point. There's like there's no skill that you cannot learn. Right. Absolutely none. Yeah. So, like, what we look for is if someone refers, like one someone who's been with us for a couple of years, 
you know, we absolutely love them. If they refer another employee to us, we know that other employee is going to be a rock star too. Pretty likely. Yeah, pretty likely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've had some bad experiences also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but we go based on that, right? right? And then when we're interviewing, you know, we'll ask, um, you know, we'll, I mean, you will get a good feeling based on the interview, you know, how they're presenting themselves, you know, um, and then, you know, how detail oriented they are, if you want to make sure it's a VA job, mm-hmm. you know, we'll put at the end of the job listing that, hey, when you apply to this job, just put, I'm awesome in the title. If they don't, like, we don't even look at that uh, application. Yeah. So we do certain things like that. And just talking to them, you know, asking them, hey, what is important for you? Like, why would you want to work for us, not for anybody else? Like, what is it that you are looking to get out of this employment? Mm-hmm. Is it you're looking to make the most money that you can, or you're looking for a work-life balance, you're looking for a place where you can feel part of something bigger? It At the end of the day, we have to ask the people that we're hiring, why do you want to work? Like, why? what would make this job, you know, absolutely best job ever? Like, right. what would have to happen? And then we make sure the answers that they give us aligns with our culture that we're trying to build. Sure. And I totally get that. But people also lie in their interviews. They do. Yeah, they do. I mean, then we'll, we'll you know, we let go of them. Right. Like we just have to move on. Um, you know, we have our team members that uh, we have them do, um, use like Hubstar, for example. So one of the team members was using this software that will just keep clicking mm-hmm. to show that they're active. So we had one-on-one conversation with him. He said, hey, this is only one time and one time only that you get away with this. If it happens again, we will not have this conversation. We'll mm-hmm. just, you know, terminate your employment. Yeah. And we, we told him, look, we're not expecting you to always be busy. No, that's not the, the purpose of this. The purpose of this is so we can manage our workforce. We make sure if someone is working at 70, 80% efficiency, that's, that's not sustainable. That's not, it's like, you know, the person will just break down after a couple of weeks of just constantly on calls or meetings. So we want to make sure if that's happening with you, we reach out to you and say, let's say it's, it's you, Steve. We say, hey, Steve, we noticed that last three weeks you've been like 80% efficiency. That's not sustainable. You know, let's make sure we get you some help. Is there something we can take off your plate? Mm-hmm. So once we had that conversation, I think we didn't set the right expectations. Right. You know, the employee came in and thought he just had to be super efficient, but that was not the goal. So once we did that, he understood. And it's like, hey, I appreciate you having this conversation. So making sure like setting right expectation and it's an ever evolving process, right? We'll learn something that happens with one team member and like, oh, we didn't expect that. And we make it part of our process. So keep always keep improving the process to make sure if a mistake happens, it only happens yeah. one time and one time only. So you feel like asking the questions, there's no particular questions or no, no particular answers that tells you that someone's got a high work ethic? I mean, if, if they say, if you ask them, hey, what's the most important thing from this job? And if they say, all right, I want to work eight hours, make the most money possible, then, you know, right off the bat, right. it's not the right fit. Mm-hmm. So we have our VA and one of the VAs that we hired, uh, we said, okay, if we were going to, you know, um, we, we want you to start taking calls with our customers, for example, say, all right, if I'm going to do customer facing work, then I want to make more money. Like, but you haven't proven yourself that you can even actually do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, if I'm going to do this, I want to make more money. So we just said, all right, you know, this is yeah. not going to work out. Uh, I the just, focus in their language. Yeah, exactly. The focus on their language. So now we make sure, you know, we have those questions on mm-hmm. the interview when we're um, yeah. looking for a candidate. One of the questions we used to ask, we don't really ask anymore. I was like, if you made 150000 your first year, what are you doing? And they're right. like, oh, I'm going to go on this amazing vacation. This and that's like, okay, they're already like. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can just tell based on the answer yeah. or just like, 
it's, it's something on how they show up to the interviews also that you mm -hmm. can tell, you know, how they're going to, you know, part of our culture. Right. Um, so we highlighted here working uh, less than an hour a week. Right. Right. Working on your real estate business less than an hour a week, but you're still, you flipped uh, 50 houses right. at, at some point. Right. Doing about 2025. 20, right now, today. Yeah. Today, yeah. Right. But you already have other operations in places. So right. how are you able to keep the operation going working an hour a week? In that, like, having your brain dedicated an hour a week in the other operations. It's like hiring the right people. Mm -hmm. um, like Claudia, she's the project manager, or I would say like CEO of the house flipping business. Mm -hmm. So between her and Apple, Claudia lives in California, Apple lives in Cal um, Canada, and then we have a house flipping business in Indiana. We don't have anyone local, uh, but we built systems and processes mm -hmm. in place that Claudia manages, Apple manages, and they take care of everything. I get involved in a 15-minute huddle in the morning, mm -hmm. um, which it's on my calendar for 15 minutes, but it hardly lasts for like five minutes. And that's kind of my check-in, hey, everything going okay? Like, you know, what leads are working, what lead uh, are not working, and I'll just kind of tweak that. Yeah. And my biggest involvement is like making sure we always have the money for the properties we need. And then, you know, that um, the numbers make sense. Okay, so say that again. What are you responsible for for your real estate turnkey business? My responsibility is making sure we have always the money available for the number of properties mm -hmm. that we want to buy. That's your number one? That's my number one, yeah. How do you do that? Uh, I have a line of credit and then have money set aside you know, for the projects for specifically for the house flipping business to make sure that we always have funds available. And then building, you know, relationships with other private money lenders, um, just making sure that when we need the money, if you have like two or three properties that we're looking to buy, we always have the funds readily available. So your core responsibility is being the money guy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So and I, I sign the buy side and sell side closing documents. Right. That's pretty much it. So I can't remember where I heard this, but something along the lines like if you can only be on the phone for fifteen minutes a week. Right. To check in your business, what would you need to know, right? So for you and your business working an hour a week, what do you need to know in that business? Uh, what do I need to know is, so we have a pretty automated system, mm -hmm. you know, like it's one of the reasons why I built ReSimply is to have everyone on my team be using the same system. So I check in kind of where, so going back to the books that we we're talking about, like the checklist manifesto was a huge uh, you know, a book that had a huge influence on kind of how I operate my business. So having like checklists for everything, making sure that we have these processes, hey, if this happens in our business, then then there are some tasks automatically assigned to everyone on our team that they're getting done. As long as they're getting done, then everything is moving along. So for me, my time is spent on making sure we have the money available and we have the right process built out. So if there's something that needs to be tweaked with the process, then I'll do that. But outside of that, just making sure we have the right process and money available. So the rest of it really is just having a dashboard. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm really simplifying because we're going to get yep. into Are You Simply in a moment. Yeah. But really just having a dashboard. Having a dashboard. Correct. Right. Okay. And that's powerful. Having a dashboard gives yeah. you a, a lot of confidence. Yeah, because like people will lie, right? Numbers never lie. It's mm -hmm. like one thing. Numbers are like two plus two will always be four. It will never be five. It will never be three. It will never be 3.9. It depends who you talk to these days. <laughs> yes. Mostly. Yeah, exactly. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> Talking to any sane person, two plus two will always be four. Yeah. So if I'm talking to my team and say, hey, we spent 10,000, we made zero money. 
I, it doesn't matter what your gut is about that marketing channel. Mm-hmm. It did not work for us. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. We need to move on. Yeah. And then if we had 50 leads come in, no appointment, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, then I'll go through, if something like that happens, I'll go through the leads and see, okay, why did these leads not convert into an appointment or an so, offer? Just like we were talking about earlier, your accounting background and like, hey, we're going to do this right? because we're going to make our decisions based off of numbers. Right. We're going to buy these properties based off of numbers. We're going to turnkey and we're going to sell these properties based off of numbers. Like there's a theme here. There is, yeah, there is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my accounting background. It's just like yeah. relying on numbers. You know, I could be anywhere. I could be sitting anywhere. We have team in four different countries now for recently, right? It doesn't matter. Like everybody, we make decisions based on numbers and numbers only. If you come and tell me, hey, I have a really good feeling about, no, show me the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, for your good feeling. Yes, I mean, if you're really doubtful about what decision to make, yeah, we'll go with something that we feel pretty good about mm-hmm. if you have no data, but let's just go based on the data. If you tell me, hey, everyone on our CS team is happy, show me the score to prove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the only way and to that's prove it. That's why you do the weekly NPS yeah, scores. Exactly, for a team members. Like, yeah. show me that everyone is happy. If they're not, why are they not happy? Like, yeah. what is it about working with us that they're not happy about? Let's make sure we work on it. Is it something that we control or they have the right expectations? Yeah, I think that's 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 incredibly powerful. Um, like it's not sexy. It's, it's not. incredibly effective. Yeah. And then yeah. team members feel heard. You know, so I'm actually flying out to uh, Philippines in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never met anyone in my Philippines team. We have like a dozen of people working for us now. So I'm flying out to Philippines. And I said, hey, I want you guys to decide where should we meet, you know? I'm only going to be there for four days, but you decide where do we want to meet? You know, how do we want to have the best time? And so everyone is excited about that. You know, that's part of the culture that we're building. We want to make sure that they feel heard in every way possible. If they say, hey, I want to make 50 bucks an hour, so then you have to find another job. You know, we can't afford that. Uh, But if you have the right expectations, given kind of what you're bringing to the table, we'll make sure that this is absolutely the best, you know, uh, job for you ever. Gotcha. I like it. Uh, so before we go before we go back to uh, the CRM, um, you own fifty properties free and clear. Uh, Forty five units are free and clear. Five I have dead on. Yeah. Okay. Um, that goes that flies against the face of every yes. real estate investing book. It does. What is the reason and rationale for that? Um, Dave Ramsey. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, he he had a huge influence on kind of how I started thinking about money. So like. Again, being accounting background, really being into personal finance, um, you know, I started reading, following a lot what Dave Ramsey, uh, you know, read his books, what he was talking about, Susie Arman. But for some reason, I think it was also influenced by back in 2008, 10, 12, you know, kind of what happened with the real estate markets, you know, it was just people were over leveraged. I think that had an influence in kind of why I gravitated towards Dave Ramsey and how that influenced in my marketing, my investments, right? I mean, I, I have an accounting degree. I totally understand. I could leverage and have 200 units, but that's not something that I'm comfortable with. I would much right. rather have, you know, even the, the loan that I have on five units, I think the total loan is about 50,000. So I could just pay it off, but you know, it just, yeah. it's like 5% interest. So I'm like, I'm going to keep it. Right. But I, I, I totally understand that I could, instead of 50 free and clear, clear units, I could have 200 units with loans on them, mm-hmm. but that's not, something that I'm comfortable with. I want to be able to just have a peace of mind on knowing, okay, if the property is not rented out, I'm not in any distress or about, hey, let's just find the best tenant mm-hmm. we can right now. I just make sure we make the right decision. I'm not in any stress. Uh, I have free cash flow coming in. I don't have to worry about banks or anything. So mm-hmm. that's just what 
I feel comfortable. It doesn't make financial sense. Mm. It, it does not, you know, it, it, it does not help me make the most money possible with the money that I have. Mm. But that's something I feel totally comfortable with. I could increase my return mm. on equity if I wanted to, but yeah. that's not in my goal. You can make more money. Absolutely. But the peace of mind is far more valuable 100%. than the more money. 100%. Do you think, because you were saying you were born in India? Yes. Do you think being born in another country influenced this mindset? I'm sure it does. Yeah, I, I don't know how, but I, I don't see how it would not influence kind of how I think, you know, coming from a very conservative background, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it has to, right? Um, right. And so I, I'm not definitely, I totally understand I could be making a lot more money mm -hmm. with my rental portfolio, but that's not, that's not my Well, goal. I mean, I bring this up because, um, so A, right? Even though I wasn't born here, I'm pretty much red blood in America, right? right? Um, and you read the books and the books like Maximum Leverage, right? And right. they have like the seesaw, right? right? Uh, diagram and this and that, like Max Leverage, Max Leverage, yeah. Max Leverage. And you're reading all these books. Uh, I'm reading all these books in 04, 05, 06, right? right? And I get into real estate and I watch everyone crash and burn. Not right. everyone, like 90 plus percent of people crash and right. burn. And then I see who's standing. Right. And everyone that's left standing is free and clear. Yes. Everyone's free and clear. And then what happens? Now I'm a realtor at this point because I was too dumb to understand how, like financing. So I'm a realtor and I'm helping everyone else buy all these properties. Right. Cash. And then I also see not only are they buying all these properties cash, because they're buying all these properties cash and the market is so depressed, they're cash flowing so much. Right. They can just keep buying a property cash every single month. Right. And I was like, okay. So there's the book theory. Right. And then there's like what happens in reality. Yeah when the market just takes a giant dump. Right. And it's not that the market will take a giant dump on a regular basis, but it happens. It happens, yeah. Right, and then where are you? Like how naked are you right. if you're over leveraged? Or if you're not even over leveraged, if you're 23% leveraged, right. what do you do? Absolutely. And then I think, Steve, you make a really good point. Um, you know, when you said before, for me personally, like peace of mind is way more valuable. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at investment, you know, there's one school of thought is just look at the return on investment. But you have to look at return on investment, return on your time also, and then how much you value peace of mind. Mm. You know, everybody is going to have different, you know, thoughts around it. Right. For me, peace of mind is way more important than making the most money. It's, it's not my goal. I, I have a very conservative lifestyle, more than happy with the lifestyle that I have. You know, even if I make additional money, it's just going to go into bank account, you know. Right. So I'm happy with kind of where I'm at. So... I think valuing peace of mind with valuing ROI, you, you have to see kind of what's more important for yeah, you. Yeah, you gotta figure out what's most important to you. Yeah. And the reason I was bringing up the, the immigrant part is because A, my parents went through this, right? It's like my dad understood this, but my mom refused to let him do it. Cause she's like, this is a risk. You're like, I don't wanna risk right. money, right? And then uh, I'm married and my wife also believes in free and clear. Right. And I'm like, you know, you know how much money we're leaving on the table? Right. Like, Doesn't matter. Yeah. Peace of mind, like she is not worried at all, right? right? When everything crashes, we still have money coming in. Yeah. Every single month covers our bills. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like just, it's amazing. Like there's, there's no words to put that, you know, feeling into words, like how amazing it feels, like mm -hmm. not have to worry about that. Right. Uh, and just knowing it's, it's a decision that I've intentionally make that highest ROI Making the most money is not the most important thing for me. Just having peace of mind, being able to do what I want to do when I want to do, that's most important for me. Right. Yeah. Like buying properties in Africa. 
Yeah. <laughs> While you're in the middle of Africa. Yeah. Okay, so you created Ari Simply. Right. Right. Which, I mean, I have multiple people that we've mentored in the past that are like, yeah, this is what I use. I love it. It makes my life easier. Right. Right. So did you start this with the intent of having it be a service or was this like, hey, this is what I need. And people are like bothering you. Like, hey, I need this. I need this. It, it started out with something that I needed for myself. Yeah. Um, it was I mean, yes, when I started the company, I thought, okay, it would be great if other people used it and yeah, paid for it. It would be cool. It would be cool. Right. But if it does nothing else and helps me, you know, buy a couple of more properties a year, it will pay for itself. It's just, it was just, again, mathematical decision. It'll just pay for itself. Numbers. The numbers would make sense, you know, the, the money that I'm investing in yeah. this. So. What was the, your initial investment? Oh, man. It just, it's, <laughs> it was nowhere enough what I thought I needed to spend in this. Yeah. I thought I'd just hire a couple of, I mean, kind of, you know, what you said, it's funny what you said about the contractors. Mm. Hey, just do what's right. I did the same thing with the developers. <laughs> yeah. So just build it. Yeah. Just like, just build me a product. Oh my God, that was such a stupid <laughs> thing to do. Just telling the, the developers to yeah. just build. Uh, so I thought I would hire a couple of developers for a couple of months and that would be the end of it. Mm -hmm. No, right. no, that was not the case. Yeah. So I guess, what did you expect it to be to develop it initially? Oh, I thought like no more than three to six months. I said, I would just tell the developers, this is what I need. They would exactly understand what I need. And I said, okay, just do this. Show me a month what mm -hmm. you have. And we'll just go from there. And your reality, your expectation in reality, like was it like off by a factor of 10, off by? Oh, it was It was like we, we started from scratch. <laughs> yeah, we, we literally started from scratch. The, the, the people that are hired initially, to build this, after about a year and a half, no jokes, I said, no, I'm just starting fresh. Mm -hmm. And it was my fault. Like, I don't want to blame the developers. It was totally my fault. I just, I would, I didn't go in with the right expectation. I mm -hmm. thought I would tell these people um, that I'd hired, hey, just please, can you build this? And then I'll see you in six months, deliver the product, and then, we'll, you know, we'll live happily ever after. So um, we did offer fast, right? We, we created right. our own app for a little bit. And I have the good fortune that all five of my younger brothers are all software developers. So it made OfferFast a lot easier to develop. Right. And so my the second oldest is he he works at Amazon, and he actually worked at a department that reports directly to Jeff Bezos' like special like projects. Okay. So like he's like top right. at Amazon, right? And I was like, hey, here's what we want, and I'm telling you the hours of questions he asked me right about this page, yes. that page, this pull yep. down. I was like, do you really need to know all of this? Yeah. And he's like, you want. You want me to you want to answer it now, right? Or be upset with the product later on, yeah. and I rebuild it, right? Like, I guess I'd rather be frustrated with you now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, Steve. And that, that was probably is, your experience. Oh, Steve, one hundred percent. Your brother is so smart; like he did the right thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, it was my experience, and I was so naive. I said, "I'm just going to tell the developers this is what I need. They'll create it." Mm -hmm. You know, it's like going to a restaurant and telling the chef, "You know, I want to have this pasta," and mm -hmm. they bring it out. You don't have to tell them exactly how much salt to put, how much sugar, you know. All on the, the noodles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that they should know, but that was not the case. Yeah. yeah, and they showed me something. I'm like, what is this guy? <laughs> what is this? This is not what I wanted. Right. Yeah, so we literally started the product from scratch after about a year, year and a half of like not doing it the right way. Again, I want to take full responsibility mm -hmm. on how the expectations that I had, I just completely screwed up on it. Mm -hmm. So then the second time around we started, I was more involved. I said, okay, this is what we need. This is what it needs to look like. This is what it should do. Mm -hmm. um, so like then for a couple of years, I just use it just for myself. 
you know, everything that we built, just use it just for myself. Then I started going to masterminds. You know, we would do hot seat presentations and show people, hey, this is kind of what my numbers look like. Again, right. uh, the most important thing with the what we built was the data, the KPIs. Um, so I would show other investors, like, oh, this is cool. What is this? Like, oh, this is something I built. Like, oh, would I would be interested. I just felt so, you know, insecure about what I'd built. Like, you know, it works for my business, but there's no way possible it would work for other people. Like, it just, like, it it doesn't seem right something that I built for my business. Other people would be able to get value out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have this insecurity about kind of, you know, it's taking your, you know, you have a newborn, you take the new one out, and then you don't want anybody to say, hey, your baby's out. You know, you want, <laughs> right. oh, this is like the, the cutest baby ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always felt like, oh, no, I have to just think a little bit more. I have to do this, I have to do that. Just then in 2000, End of 2019, I'm like, all right, we're just going to open it up for a few people just to use it as, you know, beta project. Uh, so we started getting feedback. All right, this is awesome, you know. And then we started getting feedback, just kind of, you know, kept developing yeah. more from there on. Was this uh, Investor Fuel? Uh, no, this was uh, Sharper Leadership with Gary Harper. Sharper Leadership? Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So your vision when you started this, what functionality were you hoping when you first launched it like the first iteration of it the very very first iteration was project management built specifically for my project management meaning like we've got this property that we we own yeah no the flips that we have going on right so manage the flips that properties that we bought i mean like properties you've acquired yes exactly properties you acquired from when you acquired it to when it was delivered as a turnkey correct that was the functionality that was the functionality and managing scope of work okay yeah so then you can manage basically a flip. Correct. Inside your CRM. Correct. It was it was never initial version never started out with a CRM. I didn't even know what CRM was. Okay. Yeah. It never started it started So out it was just I want to see my business. progress on all my flips. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That was the first iteration. That was the first iteration. That completely And that took more than a year and a half. More than a year and a half. Okay. So there's wasted money, wasted time. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say wasted time. It's something that I learned from that process. Yeah, the experience. The experience, yeah. I right. got I got education out of it, let's yeah. just say, for 18 months. Expensive education. Expensive education, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we can say for all these different addresses, we can see from when we acquired it to when, yes. when, when it's sold, and then all the different, like, uh, like permitting, electrical yes. work. Exactly. When is, when's it rented, this and that. Exactly, all of that. All of that. Okay. Then what was the next iteration? Next iteration was around the time I started doing more directed seller marketing. Mm-hmm. So we were still doing project management, but right. then it had the CRM part of it also, managing your leads, mm-hmm. your motivated seller leads, and then the ability to call them, text them from within the system. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we started out beginning, you know, recently was I wanted to see everyone on my team be on the same software. Everyone should be on the same software, okay. using one software. So if you work should... at your company, what do you call that, your company? Uh, my house flipping? Yeah. Max Properties. Max Properties. So if you work at Max Properties, yes. everyone is logging in to resimply. Exactly. Yes. Everything from calling a lead, texting a lead, pictures, videos, communicating internally, everything should be in the, even my bookkeeper and your accountant are also Everything is in recently now. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was that was the vision. That's where we are right now. Gotcha. Everything we're building now, creating now, it's it's grown way beyond my business. Way beyond my business. We have mm-hmm. people doing 
dozens of deals a month using our platform. And it's, it's just like evolve way beyond what I needed for my business. Right. So everything we're developing now is based on what other people are requesting. You know, larger teams are requesting and like, hey, I would need this feature, that feature. You know, it would help my business in this way. So that's kind of what we're developing now. Right. So but going back, the functionality is uh, you can plug into multiple marketing right. channels. Correct. Or marketing mediums. Right. So you could do from there uh, direct mail. Cold calling. Cold calling. Um, no texting. No texting. Right. Uh, but you can manage websites. websites, PPC. Right. SEO. SEO, right. Your vendors, your buyers, everything. So all And all your relationships, everything is correct in here. Correct. So then how would, let's say I got an address in there. Right. Or I got like, uh, I pull a list uh, from uh Say investment machine, right? Right. Full list. How do I incorporate that into Resimply? So once you pull the list, you put it into Resimply list stacking, mm -hmm. right? You stack your list. Then you can cold call from within Resimply. You can send direct mail. Mm -hmm. and you can get your buyer, seller website all within the system. Mm -hmm. And you send direct mail, you do cold calling. So you can buy different tracking numbers. And if a lead calls in, you know exactly what marketing campaign they called in from. If you're doing direct mail to probate list, you're doing direct mail to tax list, you can know exactly what marketing campaign they're calling from. So mm -hmm. you can know for every dollar that you're putting into each marketing channel, exactly what your ROI is. So for mm -hmm. every dollar you put in, how much money you're making at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what it does. Yeah. So um, you've got basically an automated ROI calculator in there as well. Correct. So from there, you know, this is what the return is. Right. Your cost per lead, cost per deal, ROI, yeah. So you don't need to download it or extract it or nothing. Correct. Click in there. Click in there. Yeah, you can see how long everyone in your team, how many offers they made, how many appointments they've been on, you know. All the KPIs. All the KPIs. All the reporting is right there. Correct. You can click on, if someone says, I've been on 10 appointments, in-person appointments, phone appointments, drive-by appointments. You can click and see exactly all the appointments that they went on. Did they actually keep the appointment mm -hmm. or did they not keep it? Right. You know, you can see the lead over how much revenue each person brought into the business. You know, what is their average call duration? How long they were on the phone for? Mm -hmm. How many text messages they sent out? Gotcha. Right. Okay. So, and you're creating this, you said this is for your business. Correct. And now you're, you got other people requesting additional, uh, what's the word? Not add-ons, but uh, additional functionality. Correct. Inside it. Right. So what is the, what is your plan? What is, what is the roadmap for the additional functionality? The roadmap for the additional functionality is like building out more of the, the core functionality, right? Like the calling features. So you can call, you can make outgoing call, you can receive incoming call. The next iteration, the next update that's going to come out next month is, you'll be able to listen in, like do call monitoring. You know, we have people that have like large sales team. They want to be able to listen into a call. They want to be able to speak to their uh, sales agent. You know, they want to barge into a call. So those are the features that are coming in um, next month. And then also uh, attaching your incoming emails. So out, right now you can only do outgoing emails. With the next update, you will be able to receive emails within the system also. So if you have Gmail or Outlook, you can receive emails Right, so you don't have to log into Gmail or Outlook. All your emails will come right within Resimply. So in your vision, you'll never have to leave Resimply. Ideally, yes. 
Yeah. Okay. And you said something fascinating. Um, you have clients who don't even use QuickBooks anymore. Correct. They just do everything within recent. Correct. How is that even feasible? What, what do you mean? Um, I mean, you're basically competing against, competing against Intuit, right? Like they bought, right. I don't know how many years ago they bought right. QuickBooks, right? Uh, but I mean, like that is a corporate, um, that's a giant corporation. Right. Right. Like Intuit is not a small entity. Now, even though they're not a small entity, maybe because they're such a big entity, their customer service is horrific and their functionality is always like, right. you know, it seems like years behind. Right. But still, it's a massive, it is. It's, it's the elephant in the room. But when you think about the it, like, in the room. but when you think about QuickBooks, right? QuickBooks is not built for real estate investors. Correct. It's built for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being awesome for no one. It's like right. good enough for everyone, mm -hmm. but it's really not solving a specific industry need. So let's say we're using QuickBooks, right? You're a real estate investor. And I say, Steve, you're using QuickBooks. And I say, Steve, can you go into QuickBooks and tell me exactly without leaving QuickBooks, what is your ROI on direct mail? What is your ROI on cold calling? You, you cannot do that. Absolutely not. Exactly. Yeah. If I ask you, just going into QuickBooks, you tell me cost per lead and cost per deal. Can you do that? No. Right. That's, that's what we do. Like mm -hmm. you don't, so think of this. Imagine your bookkeeper is doing what they need to do. They don't have to know anything about anything else. Like accounting is account. It's a science, right? It just, it's debit and credit. So you just go in, you say, all right, I have this expense coming in. This expense was for ABC marketing company for this direct mail for this campaign. That's all you have to do. When you make the money, our system would automatically attach it to, if you sell one, two, three main street property, you made 50,000. We already know what marketing campaign one, two, three main street belongs to. You don't have to uh, export anything, link any spreadsheets. You say I made 50,000, our system already knows the one, two, three main street came from direct mail probably. So it would update the cost per lead, cost per deal and ROI automatically without you exporting anything, without you using any other software. So that's, that's where the limitation of QuickBooks coming. Like QuickBooks would do the bookkeeping, it would give you some reports, but those are not reports that are relevant to investors. No. What we're doing is very, very specific to investors. You know, we go in, like the, even the language that we use, like you go into QuickBooks, it says, it talks about class. You know, like investors don't talk about class. Like I don't ask you, hey Steve, how much money did you make on that class, right? I ask you how much money did you make on the property? That's what we use you know, what property this expense belongs to. So it just, it's a very simple way to just manage your books on your own. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, once people start using it, I, that's honestly the last piece that people feel comfortable with mm. because they have this mindset of, oh, there's no way I can replace QuickBooks. But once they do and they get this insight into this business, they're like blown away. Just by click of a button, they can see exactly how much money they're making from each marketing channel. Yeah. That's the most powerful thing ever. Like knowing if I'm spending a dollar in marketing, right? You could be spending, let's say, you could be spending $200,000 in marketing and you're making, let's say, $500,000 on it, right? Do you know that you really need to spend $200,000 to make 500? Could you only spend 150 and make 500, right? Mm -hmm. That's the stuff most of the investors have no idea about, right? right? They, they say... You know, they're making seven figures. They talk about the top revenue numbers. They're saying, oh, I make seven figures revenue. But how much did you keep of that? Did you keep, you know, 40% of that, 5% of that? Well, what's the point of making a million dollars in revenue when you're only taking home 50,000? Would right. you not much rather make 800,000 and your take home is 250, 300? You have a much leaner, more efficient business, but people have no idea. Like right. it, it just, 
it's very it's very difficult to use all these different systems right mm-hmm. you have quickbooks quickbooks doesn't speak with your crm right you have to export data from quickbooks you have to export data from your crm and then have someone match up all the data and you have to keep doing it over and over again mm-hmm. it, it doesn't give you in real time right but our system does that in real time like yeah. you spend money on a marketing channel it updates your kpis in real time mm-hmm. so a lot of the investors would have kpis on their dashboard you know on the on their big screen and then as they get an appointment as they get an you know meeting or whatever it just updates in real time as they spend any money make any money they know exactly kind of what's going on with their yeah. revenue i mean i like the fact that it sounds like uh this expense is tied to a list is or is tied to um uh, a channel right and when you get a property when you when you lock a property up you already know from the campaign right what list exactly. what channel exactly so if i ask you so steve what do you think the biggest expense for a typical real estate investor is um well on the pnl should be it's usually staff or marketing right it's it's one of those two mostly i would say marketing mm-hmm. right so that's where if imagine if you can be you know 15 20% better on your marketing that's a very very easy number to attain right once you start looking at how much money you're spending on each marketing let's say i mean we have a lot of investors that are doing radio ads or tv ads for example so we tell them hey if you're doing radio ads let's say you're going on two different radio station use two different tracking numbers mm-hmm. let's say you spend uh, let's say you spend like $5000 on radio ads on two different radio stations use the same phone number you make 20000 you're like fantastic i spent 5000 i made 20000 let's just keep doing more of we say hold on well, which radio station did you make money from do you know Do you even need to spend money on both radio stations? Could you do one, or you do direct mail? You send out five thousand pieces of direct mail, right? You have your probate list, you have your absentee list. You just use one number. You spend, I'd say, twenty five hundred dollars mailing to that list. You make money. You make ten thousand. Like fantastic. Four X are done. I need to do more of it. Mm-hmm. And the question is, hey, was it the probate list that made you money or the absentee list? Right? Should right. you even be mailing to both lists? Right. So that's where we we help. you exactly with what marketing channel is working you might realize that you're spending you know after 5000 mailing list you only had 1000 on probate 4000 on absentee so you spend like $500 on your probate and that's the one that you made money on so it's your return is not 25000 2500 to 10000 it's actually $500 to 10000 so but you need to keep repeating the process you cannot just do it you know one time right. and then based on that but if you have numbers over three or four mailings and you look at three or four mailings and you're like i consistently make money from probate less i don't make any money from absentee or not nearly enough for it to be scalable now let's you're going into another market you have the data to make a decision i should go with probate less mm-hmm. in this market because i've proven that i can make money from probate list in market a if i'm going in market b at least i'm basing my decision based on numbers not based on a gut feeling right. not based on a theory that hey absentee list works i'm going based on the data that i have to prove that my i have 10x roi 10 time 10x roi on my probate list so i'm going to start with that and see how that works in different market and then just kind of scale from there gotcha uh if someone wanted to learn more about resimply how would they uh they can go to uh resimply.com r e s i m p l i.com Simple enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, for you, you got multiple ventures going on. What is your why? 
Oh, that's a good question. I'm actually working with a coach right now to kind of help me get clarity on that. I think it's, at this point, it's about the people that we have in our team. You know, I think with what we're doing, with the plan that we have, you know, I, I feel like we can make a, a generational financial impact in their life. Mm. So I think that's the most exciting part, especially having people, you know, in overseas, in Philippines uh, or India, like with what we're doing, you know, I have, uh, you know, have some numbers in mind once whatever we decide to do with the company, uh, you know, with the long term, that I want to make sure that the people that have been with us for a long time, that they're financially uh, incentivized. And it's like life-changing money for them. Yeah. Uh, so that's the most exciting part is the people that have been with us uh, in the company and changing their life. That's cool. What's your biggest struggle right now? Is uh, building culture across uh, people in different countries speaking different languages. Mm. Uh, that's, that's the biggest struggle right now. How are you addressing it? I'm flying out to Philippines in a couple of months. I'm going to India after that. And there have some team members in Bangladesh. So I'm going to Philippines, Bangladesh, and India just to meet people in person. So, but we'll, we'll have like, you know, great culture in the CS team. We'll have great culture in, you know, with the Bangladesh team, India team, but not a company-wide culture. So that's, that's the part that I'm struggling with. And mm -hmm. I don't have an answer for that yet. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what I'm working with. One of the things that I'm working with the coach on is like, how do we, you know, build a culture around yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, that's probably... Um, uh, a problem that most bigger companies deal with, right? Because right. like most people do, they're either here or they're here in the Philippines or they're right. here in South America, right? But they're not normally in like multiple right countries. Yep. So yeah, I imagine that one's going to be a yeah, tough that's, to crack. That's that's a tough one. I I don't have any answers yeah. to that. No. Yeah, and it takes a strong leadership. Really maintain multiple locations, right. let alone multiple locations speaking different languages. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you stay motivated? Uh, I I read a lot. Um, recently, I've been reading a lot about stoicism, mm -hmm. and I'm absolutely like fascinated with that. Yeah. Um, and then I I meditate and I journal every day. Yeah. Uh, reading stoicism, I imagine, and I'm just kind of based off, you know, sure. quick read here, uh, quick personality read. I mean, I imagine that probably was already in alignment with how you already orient your life. To some extent, uh, yeah. but, you know, having, it's, it's more about like, yes, a lot of that I was already doing, but when you read it and it's about like reiterating the same principles over mm -hmm. and over again, like, you know, based on, um, you know, stoicism books that I've read, I literally have daily rules to live by note for myself. So I read it every day. First thing in the morning when I get up, I read yeah. it every day just to kind of keep reminding me every day, hey, this is kind of what I need to focus on. It helps tremendously in my uh, personal life, business life, in every way. For people that aren't familiar with Stoicism, do you want to elaborate on what that is? Sure, it's, it's an um, old Greek philosophy popularized by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, he was a Roman emperor for about 20 years, and he wrote these... Uh, journals to himself, not for anybody else. He wrote these for to himself, and they survived the time. And now, you know, it's it's a book, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, um, it's absolutely fascinating, like the most powerful book that I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. I need to go through it again. Apparently, yeah. I read the wrong one. 
It's uh, a, they have so many different translations of it. Yeah. 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 Because I've had so many people like, oh, you gotta read it. You gotta read yeah. it. And I got an audio book version. Right. I was like, that was okay. And yeah. Like, like I offended someone so strongly, a team member. He's like, all right, I'm going to give you the book that I read. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the right one. Yeah. Like disregard the other one. Um, but yeah, I mean, stoicism obviously is powerful. It's, uh, you know, I think if you look at different personality profiles, a stoic, I would look at kind of someone that's a high S profile on right. the disc. Right. Right. Uh, and then you look at like, um, uh, if you, we could talk about poker earlier. Uh, Phil Ivey, did you ever right. watch him? Yeah. Right. Like that guy doesn't need lessons on stoicism. Like, that right. guy's just stoic. Right. Exactly. He's a statue. Yeah. At all times. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's for those of you guys who are looking for an example. Like, as someone that is super calm, and like what happens happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's just I, the the whole principle of stoicism is you just worry about the things that are in your control. Yeah. That's it. Right. Like. I have a flight this evening to San Diego. If it gets canceled, the only thing I have in my control is to show up to the airport on time. Anything outside of that is not in my control. Right. The same thing in our business, right? Like we we don't necessarily control how happy our user is, for example. Like we don't control if they give us a five-star rating or not. We only control the effort that goes in to what we can do to make them happy, mm -hmm. right? We can only control that we can get back to our user on time. We give them the right response to their question. That's the only thing we control. Whether they give us a five-star rating or not, that's absolutely out of it. Yes, we, we just want to make sure we're doing the things that we can. Mm -hmm. But if the outcome doesn't align with our effort, either the effort isn't what we're putting is not right, mm -hmm. or the outcome that we're expecting is not right. right. The only thing it comes down to is just controlling what's in your control just worrying about the things that are in your control yeah and i, I think it's a powerful lesson As a matter of fact something that I actually was talking to my daughter with yesterday she was upset about something like, well you can't control how other people feel yeah all you control is how you responded absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean just like even something simple it, it it talks about you have the power to not have an opinion about something like imagine how liberating that is yeah. like i'm not on any social media i'm not on instagram tiktok i have facebook account but only for our um, you know, recently grew. But outside of that, I don't do any social media. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't follow any sport. I could not name you any NFL player right now. Yeah. I could not. Like, I, I stopped watching once Peyton Manning retired. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't follow any. Like, it just feels so liberating. It just feels right. so light that I don't have to worry about anything. I mean, I would just get so involved in each player's contract. And I'm like, Sharad, you're not getting a percentage of their contract. <laughs> Why do you care about yeah. it? And once I started thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. And then I don't have to have an opinion about everything. Yeah. Uh, something I learned from, uh, from Darren Hardy was like, imagine if you cared about your success as much as you care oh about the God. other athlete's success. Yes. Imagine that. Yeah. It's just, just focus on things you can control and they just work towards it every single day. You yeah. know, imagine where you would be. Right. That's, that's what I try to focus on, things that are in my control. It's much easier said than done. You know, I just want to be very clear. It's much easier <laughs> said than done. You know, I don't just get up in the morning like, oh, yeah, this is not in my No, yeah. no, it, it doesn't. But it's just about keep reminding yourself every single day. Just shut out. Work about the things. Worry about the things that are in your, in your personal life, business life. Mm -hmm. If it's not in your control, you know, it just, there's nothing you can do. Just relax. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, what is your superpower? Um, oh, man. If I, if I believe in, a concept, if I believe in a theory, that I can just commit myself 100% to yeah. it. 
Yeah, like just talking about stoicism, you know, it could be anything if like I believe in it, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go all in. I'm not going to do anything half-heartedly. Yeah. So the ability to commit. Yeah, ability to commit. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, what would other people around you say? Or um, I'm usually very calm. Mm-hmm. I don't get worked up about this is not excluding my wife. I just want to be clear. <laughs> uh, people said I'm very calm. I don't get worked up about many things, whether mm-hmm. it's good or bad. Like mm-hmm. if something great happens, great. Mm-hmm. Something bad happens, great. You right. know, it just, it doesn't like my emotions don't go up or down mm-hmm. based on kind of what's happening. I, I can be very relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, same, same thing here, right? Pretty relaxed except we're around my wife. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, why is that? It's like, well, because care about you more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And so the, those that we're closest to are the ones that can affect us the most. Uh, what is your biggest regret? Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, not buying more properties and not working with the coach earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Those two. Um, how did you learn your greatest lesson? Um, connecting with other people and making mistakes i'm i'm okay making mistakes as long as i'm making a mistake only once if i don't mm-hmm. learn from it then there's something wrong with me if i make a mistake and i learn from it yeah. i'm okay you know making that mistake as long as it doesn't like just ruin the whole company or life yeah. right uh, is there any one particular failure that you learned the most from Ooh. Um, the one that i learned the most from is uh Yes, making, I mean, it did not, it did not happen, but I was going to give a big chunk of my company equity to someone without really consulting with someone. It just, luckily things didn't work out, but if it had worked out, that would have been really, really bad decision. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I realized I need something much smarter, way more ahead of me in life mm-hmm. to kind of just rather than making these decisions based on my gut feeling or like not, you know, just having a good feeling about it, but not really thinking through everything that could, good or bad that could happen. Um, so that's why I work with a, a personal coach now. So you didn't have the ability to quantify it because everything Correct. else is quantified. Yeah, but that I could not. It was just based on like promises. Hey, if, you know, you give us this much equity in the business, you know, your business will be at this level. But there's like no milestones set in there. I mean, luckily it didn't work out, but if it had worked out, I think it would have been a pretty bad deal for me. Yeah. Who is helping you? I mean, do you feel comfortable sharing who's helping you now? Uh, I mean, I have a business coach that I work with. I didn't ask his permission if it was okay for me to share. Totally fine. Yeah. Uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? What book would I give? Have you gifted? Have, have I gifted? Uh, Dating Greatly by Brene Brown. That's what the one, uh, Dating Greatly by Brene Brown. It's about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one I've gifted the most. Dating? Dating, D-A-R-I-N-G. Ah, daring. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Daring Greatly. Yes, okay. by Brene Brown. What's that about? It's about being vulnerable, you know, being open about kind of, it goes against like what I just talked about, stoicism, mm-hmm. but this is like, uh, but that I, I gifted to my family, my friends. Uh, you know, it's kind of when you're going through life, you're going through different stages. You need different books at different stages of your mm-hmm. life. So back then, like about a few years ago, I, I believe that book had a huge 
impact on my life so that I gifted to a lot of people. What about it inspired you? Uh, just it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, it doesn't make you weak uh, sharing, you know, the the struggles that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, if you're more open about it, you'll realize kind of, you'll have more genuine connections with right. other people. Authenticity. Uh, yeah, definitely. Authenticity was a big lesson from it. Um, you know, when you look at like social media, like typically when you're looking at social media, you're scrolling Instagram, you're looking at someone's highlights of their life and you're typically looking at when you're feeling really low about yourself. You know, it's not a fair comparison. So that the book talks about like when you would, when you sit across from someone and I say, Steve, you know, this is what I'm struggling with you. I let my guard down. Mm-hmm. You're going to open up a little bit about yourself also, right? right? That's that's how you build authentic connections with people. Yeah. Uh, Instagram. And all these other social medias, like you're, you're, it's their sports center top 10 of the day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or top three. Top three. Right. Yeah. This, these are the top three things of my day today. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's, it's become like, you know, what can I watch in like 60 seconds? Yeah. You know, like people don't even have time to like sit in front right. and watch something like that. But this isn't like the time I fought with my wife or right. I disappointed my kids. Right. Or my team members are upset because mm-hmm. I was supposed to do this and I didn't get it done in time. Yeah. That's not going on social media. That's not. Exactly. That's not. Yeah, that's not. Like no, nobody's putting on social media, oh, I had a cheat day. You know, I didn't feel good about myself. You know, mm-hmm. I was supposed to do this. I committed myself to do this, but mm-hmm. I didn't do this because this. nobody's doing that. Because, right. you know, n- nobody wants to hear that. Or I, I don't know if nobody wants to share that. I think if you shared it, because like when people go like, it's interesting, right? Because if you go and share like your worst failures, people right. are like all about it, right? But if it's like, inconveniences or things you're, you're down about. They might yeah, be like, stop ex- complaining. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there, there has to be like fine line between your, like you're being genuine about what you're struggling with mm-hmm. or you complain, oh my God, I can believe how much traffic there is. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean like, so you were talking about earlier, like, you know, like the, the freedom that you have from not watching sports anymore, right? Right. And unfortunately, at this exact moment, I'm a big Suns fan. Right. And so like, I'm like screaming at the TV as like, why would you do that? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but like, do I go, like, if I go and complain about the rest, like, well, that's not really worth right. thinking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's, you know, like, I, I love, like, outside of, I love playing pickleball. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love playing pickleball. You're one of those. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm one of those, man. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I only started playing three months ago. I'm totally yeah. hooked to it. Yeah. But, like, that's that's one place where I kind of get really worked up. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I can believe I lost that point. So, uh-huh. I got Dean Rogers, Tony Javier. And now Paul Myers, right? They're all trying to get me, get me to do this. I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, I, I played with Tony Javier. He beat my ass. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the way he talks about he, it, he's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want you to uh, think about some last thoughts you want to leave all the listeners with. Um, guys, hope you guys got a ton of value today. Uh, we launched our sales community back in May. We're almost at 200 members now. So if you want to join a community of closers. Right, you want to get better at locking up contracts, go to salesdisruptors.com, join our sales community. What are some last thoughts you'd like to leave everybody with? Um, one, one question we get a lot is, you know, people ask us, what marketing channel should I start with? And our answer is always the one that you can stick with the longest. At the end of the day, every marketing works. It doesn't matter whether you're doing direct mail, cold calling, PPC, SMS, whatever it is. Just whatever you're doing, just stick with this long enough you know it's like losing weight you're not going to lose weight by just going to gym once you got to go long enough for you know for you to start seeing effect um so yeah if you're investors struggling to find deals 
pick a marketing channel and stick with it long enough, at least at least six months for you to be able to make a decision whether it worked or not. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Someone wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? If they wanted to connect with me, it would be through email, mm-hmm. sharad at resimpli.com. Yeah, it's not Facebook. It's not Facebook, yeah, <laughs> it's not. Uh, and then uh, if someone wants, again, find out more about RE Simply? Yeah, they go to resimply.com, or if they have any specific question, they can reach out to me, and uh, I'll, I'll take care of that email. Yeah, and for those of you guys listening, it's simply with an I. Yes. All right, R-E-S-I-M-P-L-I. Yeah. Dot com. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.